Well, hey guys, thanks so much for tuning into the Harbor Teaching Podcast. We hope that the messages you will hear are both uplifting and challenging. And now, welcome to the Harbor. Jesus is awesome. I really do. Um, and I really do. I actually, I, I do have just one simple goal for tonight. Anybody have want to venture a guess as to what I want you to take away from the teaching tonight? Jesus is awesome. That's the goal. Yes. And uh, by the way, if we have not met, my name is Brian. I'm one of the pastors here at Calvary, and uh, it's a real privilege and pleasure to be with you guys tonight. Um, and I see lots of familiar faces. I see some new faces as well. And so if you are new, um, after the service, we have our Connect Bar, and we would love to connect with you and just let you know what's happening here. Um, our goal here at the Harbor is we want to tell people about Jesus because we think he's awesome. And uh, we also want you to get connected to community, and we have an amazing community here, uh, some amazing people, um, and so we want to help you get connected. And so uh, we love you, and we believe in you, and so yeah, head over to the Connect Bar afterwards. I'm going to pray, and we're going to dive in. God, thanks for this day. Thank you for the book of Colossians. And Lord, I pray that tonight as, as we look into this message, that you would encourage our hearts, and Lord, most importantly, I really believe that, that, that you wrote the book of Colossians to help us see Jesus in a way that we don't see him anywhere else, to help us understand Jesus in a, in a more deep and a more powerful and a more impactful way. And so we just ask that you would do that, that by your Holy Spirit, as we read the Bible, as we read your word, that you would show us Jesus and that as we see Jesus, our hearts and our lives would be changed. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So I want to talk about this word awesome for a minute before we dive in. Um, I was thinking about it, and uh, personally, I use the word awesome quite a bit. Does anyone else, like, frequent the word awesome? Yeah. And, uh, I mean, just a few things that I've talked about that were awesome recently. Um, I've been really into making espresso at my house, and, like, every day my goal is, like, I want to make a, a great espresso. And so I've, I've used it a few times as I've tried to dial in my technique. Um, my son Isaiah is almost three years old, and uh, we are potty training him. And so, yeah, that is awesome. And uh, so, uh, like, basically what that entails, um, kind of speaking of tidy whities I guess, since it's a topic, is that, like, you just, like, you just, like, let him run around with no clothes on, and then, like, hopefully, occasionally, like, he, he makes it to the bathroom, or if he's outside, he makes it to a tree. And whenever he, he does make it there, we always give him M&Ms as a prize. And I always say, like, awesome, good job, buddy. And I actually did. I, I was on the phone with Katie tonight, and she was on speakerphone with Isaiah, and she's like, Isaiah has something to tell you. And he's like, I went pee in the potty. And I was like, let's go. And he was, he was stoked. So, yeah, I said, awesome job. And um, the, the point I'm trying to make is that, like, uh, I mean, we use it for a lot of stuff. Um, but actually, the original word was not supposed to be thrown around commonly, um, the original word uh, means awe-inspiring. It means so amazing, uh, so incredible, so majestic that you are filled with awe when you experience whatever you're experiencing. You're filled with wonder and you're filled with beauty. And actually even you're filled with fear. There's, there's a definition that means uh, so, so beyond us that, that we are actually filled with a fear in a reverence when we experience something that is truly awesome. And Jesus is truly awesome, and that is what we're going to discover tonight. A quick recap, though, we're in part two of Colossians. And 
basically what we learned last week is that the Apostle Paul, he's a pastor, he's a church planter, he's a missionary, and he went, goes on all of these missionary journeys, but eventually he ends up in house arrest in the city of Rome. He's in, we're in Acts 28 at the end of Acts, and he's in house arrest for two years. And during this time, he's able to receive visitors. He's able to preach the gospel to anyone that will show up at his door. And so um, a man named Epaphras visits him. And Epaphras is a fellow pastor, a fellow church planter. And Epaphras starts to tell him, there is a church that I started in the town of Colossae. And things are going phenomenal there. They are a great church. They receive the gospel. They're full of faith. They're full of hope. They're full of love. And so Epaphras has all these great things to say about uh, the town of Colossae and about the church at Colossae. But he says there are some threats. There are some people who are trying to come in, and they're trying to influence us and sway us and push us away from the gospel. And um, I put this on the screen. Um, we don't fully understand all of the threats. We don't understand everything about it. But the Colossian, the Colossian heresy, the temptation that they have to believe something uh, that, that's wrong is that Jesus isn't enough. That Jesus isn't enough. And that uh, maybe you, it's okay to believe in Jesus, but you also have to believe in Judaism. You also have to believe in the law. Or maybe that there's sort of this like mystical, special knowledge that you can unlock if you believe in Jesus. Jesus isn't really good enough. Jesus is kind of a door or a portal to this hyper-spiritual experience that you can have. And, and so the point of all of it is to say, you know what, Jesus is great, but, but there's something beyond Jesus. And just so you know, um, we do experience all sorts of different messages that come at us that are much the same. Much heresy, and by the way, heresy is just a word uh, for a, a false belief, something that is going to lead you away from true Christianity. And most heresy uh, isn't trying to remove Jesus from the picture. It's trying to add something to Jesus. It's great that you believe in Jesus, but you also need to believe in this. Uh, some of the famous heresies around right now, Jesus plus America. You got you to have both of those. Uh, Jesus plus acceptance and, uh, and tolerance of, of literally everything. Um, Self-love plus or minus Jesus. There's all of these things where we try to sprinkle in Jesus but, but come with something else. And what Paul writes to the Colossian church is he writes to say this, hey, the point that I'm trying to make is that Jesus is supreme. He is over everything. And so uh, we, we're going to dive in and we're, we're going to look at this. And um, so, so what I want to do first off, because um, the first five verses or the first six verses, verse 15 through 20 that we're going to read tonight, they are um, some of the most powerful verses about Jesus in the whole Bible. In fact, the description that is written here um, is, is this extremely succinct, power-packed description of who Jesus is. And so I'm just going to read it all the way through, and then we're going to go back, and we're going to break it down. But this is so powerful. I just want you to focus. I want you to listen as we read Paul talking to the Colossian church, and, they, and he's talking about Jesus, and this is what he says. He says, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, 
And in him, all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Jesus is awesome. Now, let's take a moment and let's actually break this down and let's look at the individual pieces. And tonight I did not, um, usually I put some application points up. But I just, as I was thinking about it and reflecting on it, I really felt like there's such just power and majesty and beauty in these words that it's so hard to just describe it in like a sentence that's not just the sentence that's already written. And so I know many of us are taking notes, and so just be, you know, listening and whatever God's speaking to you, jot it down. But we're going to dive in, and we're going to look at verse, starting at verse 15. And first off, it says this in the NIV, the Son is the image of the invisible God. Now, what does this mean? It means that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. So we know from Scripture that God um, is, is actually invisible, that, that no one can see God and live, that, that, that um, God is, is glorious. He dwells in unapproachable light. And, and so there are times in Scripture where uh, someone will have a vision of God sitting on his throne. Uh, there's a moment where Moses sees um, what's described as God's back. But, but even Moses, Moses prayed to God. And he said, Moses, or he said, God, I want to see your face. And and, and God said, no one can see my face and live because I'm so holy, I'm so majestic. But when God d- desired to reveal himself to humanity, when God des- desired to actually demonstrate this is who I am and this is what I look like, he sent Jesus. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He is God as a human being. He is God putting on skin and bone. God walking on the earth just like you and I. And so if you want to know who God is, if you want to know what God is like, if you want to know what God cares for, we, we look to Jesus. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 says this, The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. Now, this is very important for us to understand. Because there is a false teaching today that would say, you know, that there, there's kind of two gods in the Bible. There's sort of the Old Testament God, and he's bad, and he's grumpy, and he's mean all the time. And then we get the New Testament God, and the New Testament God is Jesus, and he's nice, and he's kind, and he's cool to everybody. And he is just like healing everybody and sweet to everybody. And so there's even people who would say, hey, look, listen. We, we don't need to be preaching this Old Testament God anymore because uh, it's going to cause too many people to walk away. So we just need to focus on Jesus, focus on kind of the, the main thing. And listen, I'm telling you that we need to focus on Jesus because Jesus is the main thing. We're going to talk about that. But we need to understand that there is no difference between Jesus and between the God that we see throughout the entirety of the Bible. 
That, that we gotta understand that when God, when Jesus steps on the scene, he's not like, hey, I'm doing something different here. I'm kind of like God rebranded. I'm kind of like, hey, I'm God that teenagers like because, you know, the old, the old God is for boomers. You know, it's not like that. It, it, Jesus is saying, I'm here and I'm exactly who God is. And we gotta understand that when we look through the Old Testament, we see a God who, yes, is a God of justice. Yes, he is a God of holiness, but he is also a God of mercy and he's a God of grace and he's a God of love. And then in the New Testament, we see the same thing. Jesus is a consistent picture of who God is. And we don't get to kind of pick and choose kind of the attributes or the characteristics of God that we want. What we wanna do is we wanna say, I wanna understand who God truly is and who God fully is. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. The second thing that we see in Colossians chapter one, verse 15, is that he is the firstborn over all creation. Now let me explain what this means because when I read this and I hear the word the firstborn of all creation, what I think is that uh, there was a God and then God kind of like caused someone to be born and, and that person was Jesus. Um, like for, for me, I, I have two children. I have Isaiah, who's almost three, and I have Malachi, who is almost one. And, and, and I would say, like, yes, Isaiah is my firstborn, but I also have a secondborn who's, like, not any less valuable than my firstborn or not any less significant than my firstborn. And, and so that's actually not what this is saying. Jesus wasn't, like, the first kid, and then we're all, like, the rest of the kids. Like, I'm number, you know, 12 billion or whatever. That's not what he's saying. Uh, th this word in the Greek um, it is actually more uh, significant as to um, an inheritance. A, a firstborn was the one who had the inheritance. A firstborn was the one who existed first. A firstborn was the one who was supreme over all the others. Um, the, the first male child, um, and, and by the way, that, that's not how we're rolling anymore, but back then in biblical times, you know, the first male child, that was kind of the heir. That was the one who was going to inherit the father's land. That was the one who was going to be the one who was over everything else and take over, uh, for, um, take over for the dad. Or, you know, the, the first male was going to be the king after the king died, that kind of a thing. This is the idea, is that Jesus, he is the firstborn. He is the heir. He is the ruler. He is the one who is supreme over everyone else. And um, it's important that we d distinctly clarify this because um, uh, Mormons and Jehovah's Witness, they would take this verse out of context and they would say, well, see, Jesus is not um, truly God. He is just kind of like a lesser deity, but we're all kind of lesser deities. We're all kind of equally on the plane of Jesus. And we're gonna see throughout this, Paul is very explicitly saying, we're not the same as Jesus. Okay, let's keep going though. Look at verse 16, it says this. And this is one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible. It says, for in Jesus, all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. Now I wanna highlight two things that I want us to notice about this verse. And the first thing that I want us to notice is this, that Jesus created everything. Uh, God uh, created the entire universe, the entire earth through the power of Jesus, and everything is created for Jesus, 
for his glory. And um, it says this in John chapter 1, verse 3. It says that, um, if we can look at it on the screen, that through Jesus, um, through the word, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. And so we know um, in Scripture that God spoke the universe into existence. But, but we also see that, that God, um, the Father, and Jesus, the Son, partnered together in this creation of the world. And, and so Jesus is actually um, the, the one who has created everything that we see. He is the one who has designed everything. And, and I just want to highlight that for a moment, this, this idea of by Jesus through Jesus, and for Jesus. That, that Jesus started it, J Jesus is the one who is sustaining it, and, and it's all existing for the glory of Jesus. And, and I was thinking about this um, specifically um, when it comes to creation and when it comes to nature. Um, I, I've heard a statistic, I don't know how accurate it is, that um, when it comes to our oceans, we've only discovered about 10% of our oceans. We've only explored 10%. It's pretty crazy to think like in the 90%, there could just be some crazy stuff out there that we just have no idea about. Um, I did some research today and I found out uh, about space. And, and I, 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 I typed into Google, how much of space ha have we been able to see? How, how much of the universe have we been able to see? And Google told me that about 6% of the universe we've been able to see. Now, that's crazy. That's a wild statistic that, that, that there are so many stars, so many galaxies so far out there that we have absolutely no idea about. And um, there's a, there, I follow on Instagram this, this telescope from NASA called the James Webb Telescope. Is anyone familiar with the James Webb Telescope? Designed by L3 Harris and Northrop Grumman, I believe, or Rockwell, one of those two. I don't know. Shout out. Maybe some people in here designed it. Thank you guys if you did. Appreciate y'all. And um, I follow it, and there's just some, like, stunning and incredible pictures. And I, I went to just, like, find a picture today just to show you. I mean, it's, it's incredible. I think we got one here from James Webb Telescope. Um, it is the largest telescope that is currently in orbit, taking pictures, using infrared. And, I mean, like, that's, that's insane. Like, that's stunning. That's beautiful. And up until, like, literally two years ago, like, we hadn't been able to see that. And, and so for the entire existence of creation up until this point, the only person who could enjoy that was God. And, and yet, he created it for his glory and for his majesty and for his personal enjoyment. Uh, while, while I was finding this image, um, a, a bunch of articles about James Webb popped up. And uh, I thought it was really funny. One of them said this, uh, in, in like the last two days, all these articles have happened that James Webb uh, released like a, a information or NASA released information. And it said that um, the James Webb Space Telescope discovered enormous distant galaxies that should not exist. And like scientists are like freaking out because they're like, like there's all these galaxies that like we didn't even have a hypothesis or a theory 
that, that they could exist. And now we figured out that they do exist. And, and the article posted this picture. Uh, it's, it's the next picture. And it's all those red dots. Those are all galaxies, like the size of our Milky Way, um, which were like a tiny, tiny, tiny little neighborhood in our Milky Way, our solar system. So each one of those dots represents like not just a planet, not just our eight planets, rip, Pluto, but it actually represents like our entire galaxy. And, and so that's, and again, like the, up until like yesterday, we didn't know those existed. And that's a galaxy. And, and so I, God is so vast and he's so glorious and he's so majestic. And he has created the universe. It all exists for his glory. And at the same time, he has also created each one of us. He's handcrafted each one of us, and we exist for his glory. That's one thing that I want to highlight. But I also want to highlight this, that in, in this moment where it says Jesus created the entire universe, it also says he is above every ruler and every power. He is above the seen realm, and he is above the unseen realm. And so what we need to understand and the application point that we need to take away from this is Jesus is powerful enough to speak galaxies into existence. And that power is the same power that is the name above every name. We read in Ephesians chapter one that he is above every name. And so there is not a political power. There is not a king. There is not a global leader that, that is above Jesus or that Jesus is afraid of. And there is not a spiritual power that Jesus is afraid of. And, and so some of us in here, maybe we are afraid of something happening in the world. Or maybe we are afraid of something in the spiritual world. And, and, and maybe that we're worried or that, that we're experiencing some sort of, of fear about that or some sort of experience about that. And the spiritual world is real, just like the physical world is real. But we do need to understand that Jesus is the name above every name. He is powerful. And that he, him dying on the cross, his blood that was shed, actually uh, gives him the authority to defeat any other power that is trying to hurt any human being, and especially that is trying to hurt people who are followers of Jesus. So we need to understand this. All right, let's keep going. It says, he is before all things, and in him, all things hold together. This concept of Jesus being before all things, uh, this is something that we've talked about several times already today, but I love this. In him, all things hold together. Uh, Hebrews chapter one, verse three says this even more powerfully. It says, he upholds the universe by the word of his power. So, so literally, like, why is it that the galaxies are spinning? Why is it that gravity exists? Why is it that, that like currently the world is not falling apart any more than it is? It's because Jesus is upholding it by the word of his power. That Jesus literally has all of it under control. That the very cells in our body, the, the very realities that we experience are being overseen by Jesus as king. So this is an application point for you just to think about. D did you wake up today and worry that gravity was not gonna work? Did you wake up today and worry that the sun was not going to rise? 
Jesus was upholding those by his power. And in the same way, what you are walking through right now, what I'm walking through right now, what I am fearful of right now is under the jurisdiction of Jesus. That Jesus is literally the same power that, oh yeah, by the way, just is keeping the universe running right now, is the same power that is in our lives as Christians. And he is walking with us and that power is available to us, not to kind of use in like a genie way, but that we might surrender ourselves to him and invite him to move in our lives. So let's keep going. Verse 18, it says this, he is the head of the body, the church, and he is the beginning and the firstborn among the dead so that in everything he might have supremacy. Now, now here's what's very fascinating to me, that Paul in the first part of this um, this this writing about Jesus, he, he's been very broad. He's talking about these massive, incredible ideas like Jesus speaking the universe into existence and Jesus holding everything together by his power. But he now makes it a little more personal. And he says that this same Jesus is overseeing the church. And by the way, that's not just one church. That's not just like Calvary Chapel. That's not just the First Baptist Church down the road. That is the global church. That right now, in every country on earth, there are people who are gathering together to worship Jesus, to study his word, to, to uh, pray and to go out and to say, I, I want to I uh, see other people meet Jesus. And Jesus is overseeing this. Now, now personally, this is very encouraging to me. Because, um, you know, as someone who is responsible to oversee one church in a small corner of the world, I know that I can get very stressed sometimes about what's happening at our church. I can get stressed by um, problems. I can get stressed by people. I can get stressed by the future. I can get stressed by a lot of different things. And so when I see this and I see Jesus is the head of the church, he is the one that is overseeing it. He's the one that is responsible for making it go. And I want us to realize that Jesus himself, he said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And so friends, Jesus is committed to his church. It is his bride, it is his body. He is committed to seeing it flourish and he is committed to making it work. I think sometimes we can be so, and especially I see this so much on online, where there's so much desire to, to throw criticism at the church or at different churches or at different ways of doing things. And, and we, we want to be careful. We don't want to um, allow false teaching in. We don't want to uh, believe heresy. But, but I just feel like sometimes that, that, that the church is, is, is always going to be a beautifully broken mess. But Jesus is saying, I'm in control of this. I'm overseeing it. I'm the one who's going to move it forward. And some of you here, um, maybe, maybe you feel called to um, even more so to say, look, I, I feel called in some way to really uh, c commit to serving in the church. There, there's so many of us who already are serving in the church. Um, there, there's so many people in this room who are, um, who, who are leading in small groups or serving at the harbor, serving in worship, serving in different capacities. And it's encouraging for me as someone who loves to serve the church to know 
that, that when I am serving the church, I am serving the thing that Jesus is the most committed to. That, that the, the God who is over everything, who's holding it all together, he's saying, yes, I'm holding it all together, but, but my passion project is the church. The, the thing that I'm building, the thing that I'm wanting to see succeed and move forward is the church. And by the way, uh, we're not talking about brands here. We're not talking about logos. We're not talking about denominations. We're talking about people. We're talking about a, the, a group of people and a growing group of people coming to see and encounter the love of Christ. And, and so we gotta be passionate about this. Okay, let's keep going. We got a couple more things to talk about and we'll be wrapping up. Look at verse 19, it says, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Jesus. So once again, we're seeing Jesus didn't get like 50% of God. Jesus isn't like a, a weak carbon copy. Jesus is the full image of God. And then it says this, and through Jesus to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Now remember, all this time we've been talking about Jesus, how amazing he is, how awesome he is. Now I have a question for you. If you were to receive the news that um, you had been selected to be the feature of the next Netflix documentary series, that a camera crew would be following around your life, interviewing your friends, and, uh, and just 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 making sure that they captured every moment of your life because like listen we've re we've researched we've looked at it you're in, you're the most interesting person in America like we need to know what is going on in your life right now the world needs to know Netflix needs to know um I, I'm not saying this like what, what sin would we find out here that's not where this illustration is going by the way you know we'd really find out what you guys were doing no um that's not it but like if that were to happen um, and if Netflix were to truly do this, um, over time, we would capture what you truly cared about. We would capture your heart. We would capture what your time was the most dedicated and the most devoted to. And what I think is so amazing and what I think is so fascinating is that we have just studied Jesus in this incredible way. And we've seen how powerful and how amazing and how beautiful and how vast Jesus really is. Like just thinking about the galaxies, just thinking about the ocean and thinking to ourselves like, man, like there's so much about God that I don't understand. There, there's so much about God that, that is so beyond me. But here's what we do know. That, that just like that documentary series would capture what you truly cared about, what we see is that as vast as God is, what he truly cares about is saving people and redeeming people. And his true heart is for rescuing people, to reconcile to himself all things by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. And so the true heart of God is to say, listen, I could do a lot of things. I could demonstrate my power in a lot of ways. I could show up and just sit on a throne and make all y'all worship me. He could do that. And, and actually, one day at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. When we, we really see God for who he really is, when we really see Jesus for who he really is, like we, everybody's gonna bow, not a question. 
but he says that, that my heart is that, that I'm going to go to the cross. I'm going to die for the sins of the world so that when people believe in me, they can be changed, they can be saved, they can be reconciled, they can be forgiven of their sins, and they can have a relationship. God's passion project, as vast and as spectacular as, as Jesus is, as glorious as he is, the greatest glory is wrapped up in the cross. It's wrapped up in the empty tomb. It's wrapped up in the fact that he wants to save you. He wants to save me. He wants to rescue us and redeem us. So I know I said I wasn't going to give you too many points, but I just want to put a recap on the screen here. The recap is this. Jesus is God. Jesus has supremacy over everything. That all things were created by, through, and for Jesus. Jesus is the head of the church, and his triumphant act was on the cross. Hallelujah. Now, we're going to close with this. Look at verse 21. It says this. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your mind because of your evil behavior. But now... God has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in the faith established and firm and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. And this is the gospel that you have heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. And so in this, we really do see a picture of the gospel, a picture of the good news about Jesus, that each one of us was born separated from God, far from God. But God loved us so much that he sent Jesus to reconcile us. The word reconcile, it, it means to, to restore and to right relationship with, to renew the relationship, to fix the relationship. And Jesus did that by paying for our sins and bringing us into relationship with God. Now, we've just talked about the fact that Jesus is awesome, that he's amazing. And, and, and I want to just close with this, that each, each one of us in here, all of us, we have a, a lot of stuff going on in our lives. We have a lot of stuff going on in our minds. We have a lot of stuff going on in our hearts. Um, I was thinking about it, and each one of us have dreams. Each one of us have desires. Each one of us have duties that we have to do, things that we are required to do. And, and I think that after we read something like this, really the call is that, that we gotta worship Jesus. We gotta make our lives all about Jesus. And I think sometimes when it comes to, to thinking about Jesus, um, what, what we can kind of think about is, okay, well, like, I know I'm supposed to worship Jesus, but I got a lot going on, right? Like, um, the, like, your boss is not going to be cool with you being like, I, I cannot come to work today because, like, I'm just, like, playing great are you, Lord, on repeat. And, like, that's just, like, that's just what I got going on today. Like, I can't do it. I can't do it. Like, my son, like, I, I, like he's, he's going to be hungry. And, like, I can't just be like, sorry, son. Like, today's, I'm just going to, like, sing gyra all day. And you're just going to have to, like, go hungry today. You have to fast today to seek the Lord. It's not like that because I'm, I, I have a duty to, to, to take care of him. I, I, I must go to work. Um, and, and in the same way, each one of us, man, we have even things that are beyond what we should do. We have 
dreams, we have desires, we have things that we want to do. And these things are not bad things sometimes. But I think when we experience this and when we see this, what we realize is, is first off, when it comes to the things we have to do, when it comes to the things that are just on our to-do list and we must do them in order to be responsible human beings, in order to be responsible adults, what we see is this, Paul writes, <coughs> and he says, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. And, and so listen, remember this, everything is for God's glory. Everything was created for the glory of Jesus. And so the worship isn't just limited to coming in here on Thursday nights. We should worship by coming in here on Thursday nights. We should set aside time in our days to just seek God and worship God. But worship isn't just limited to that. And so worship is um, creating if you're a creative. Worship is working hard. Worship is doing the things that God has put in front of you to do for his glory. And, and so everything that you do, if it's done in obedience to God, if it's done by faith, it can be done as an act of worship to God to say, God, I'm doing this not for men, but I'm doing this for God. And, and so that's, that's really what we do with things we have to do. But what about things that we want to do? What about things that we enjoy doing? Should we just stop doing fun things and just say, I'm just going to worship all day. I'm just going to, you know, I'm not going to do any entertainment anymore. I'm not going to do any fun things. I'm not going to do any travel. I'm just going to, like, read my Bible all day, and I'm just going to worship all day. I, I don't think we have to do that. But, but what I do think is this, that, that you and I, um, Jesus, when he called his 12 disciples, he called them so that they would be with him, so that they would become like him, so that they would be transformed to do what he did. And so I think that the, the thing that we're called to do in response to this is we're called to say, I want my life over the course of time to look more and more like Jesus's life. That's what uh, Paul said in Colossians, or 2 Corinthians. He said that when you look at Jesus, when you study Jesus, when you understand Jesus, you are gonna be more and more transformed to look like Jesus. And, and so as we set our gaze and as we set our hearts on Christ, I believe what is gonna happen is we're gonna start to be transformed to look more and more like him, to desire the things that he desires, to love the way that he loves, to, to, to pray the way that he wants us to pray. So I just want to encourage us with that, two things, that, that we would do everything we're called to do to God's glory and that we would seek more and more to be transformed, to be like him. Let's pray. And as we do, I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. God, we thank you for this day. I'm, I'm grateful for just the opportunity to, to think about you, to reflect on the fact that you are supreme, you are over all. And God, I just ask that, that we would desire to dedicate and point our lives towards you being king and you being Lord. God, I ask if there's people here who don't know you, that they would turn to you. I ask that even this, just the reminder of, of this message would be, would be a reminder to say, God, God, we, we need you, that you have saved us, you have rescued us, and we want to turn our lives to you. And I ask that all of us would dedicate ourselves, even in this moment, to saying, you are glorious, you are beautiful, and we want to do everything in our lives to dedicate ourselves to your glory. We thank you, God. We love you.
We just want to worship you, Lord. I want to invite you to stand to your feet. And we want to take a little bit of time right now just to worship in response. You know, our worship, our singing is a response to what Jesus has done for us and who Jesus is. And so let's take a moment and let's, let's praise and worship him. If you feel comfortable, lift your hands in the air as a sign of surrender. But whatever you want to do, just to pour out your heart and cry out to God. Let's worship him.
God, we thank you for this night, and we ask you that you would help us to just see you in a deeper way and experience you in a deeper way. And may it not just be a moment, but may this be part of our, our formation as we grow to become more like you. We love you, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks so much for spending time with us. If you'd like to know more about The Harbor, please follow us on Instagram at wearetheharbor. Also, if you need prayer, feel free to send us a DM. Otherwise, tune in next time.